I was born again in 1975, of the Spirit of God saying to me, Joan, you know those mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. I gasped. I said, sins? I didn't know they were sins. I thought they were mistakes. I was baptized in water when I was 15 years old, but I was not born of the Spirit of God. They came to John the Baptist once saying, Are you the Christ? And he said, No, the one that comes after me, he says, I'll baptize you in water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. That's exactly what happened to me. When I was 37 years old, God spoke to me to show me my sin. At that point, my eyes were opened and I was born again. A few days after that, I was taken into heaven in the night. I was asleep. I saw no images. It was strictly in the spirit. When I was taken into heaven, I knew I was with God. I was with Christ. I was with the Holy Spirit. I was merged into the body of Jesus with God and the Holy Spirit witnessing, made one with the Word of God. A few nights later, the exact same thing happened to me again. I didn't tell anyone about this experience because I thought this happened to every Christian. It was several weeks before I mentioned it and found out it didn't happen to every Christian. I didn't know what it meant or why it happened, but I was reading a book called Exodus, and in that book the author said, when God is going to use a person for an unusual job, he often will bring them some very unusual experience. At that time, I owned a business, a small business in Dallas, Texas, American Indian Arts. I attended a church. I was in a prayer group, but I was on fire for Bible and things of God. Since I owned the business, I had three very competent people working for me who could run the business. The only thing I had to do is the buying and the appraisals of Indian artworks. So I could stay home at my apartment all day long and read Bible. And they ran the business. And after this happened to me, all I cared about were things of God and the church and the Bible. So all I cared about. Nothing mattered but that. That was 1975. For the next five years, I lived with God teaching me things of God. At one point, God told me something to do that I'm certainly not telling you to do this. This was to prepare me, and I, I don't believe it's for everyone to do this. But what God told me in those days was, don't watch television. Don't go to any more plays. 
Don't go to football games. Just stay home and read the Bible, and I will teach you. I mean, I did go to church, and I did go to that prayer group. But that's what the Holy Spirit said to me. So I stopped going to football games. I stopped watching television. I just stayed at my apartment and read the Bible, and then they would call me from the shop when they needed an appraisal, and I would go in and appraise items. I would go to the reservations and buy merchandise. And then I just continued staying home and reading the Bible. And I did that for several years, probably three or four years. In the period of time from 1975 until I was put into the ministry full-time in 1980. So I had five years of being pretty much isolated to God, although going to church and going to prayer group. During that end of that season of time, I went to Albuquerque, New Mexico to buy merchandise for my business. I had made a practice during the latter years of my business of taking one of the workers with me to the reservations just as a little bonus for their work. This worker and I were in the car with my mother and dad who lived in New Mexico. As we drove along, someone mentioned Jimmy Carter. And I said, who's Jimmy Carter? And they were both shocked. They were all shocked, all three of them. They looked at me and they said, well, he's just been elected president of the United States. That's the first time I'd ever heard his name because God separated me to the gospel to do the work of God. That's how separated I was at that time. January 10th, 1980, I was asleep in the night. A very loud trumpet-like voice spoke three words into my ear. Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. I jumped out of bed and wrote KWJS on a notepad, for I was pretty sure it was either radio or television call letters, and I have a way of mixing those little letters up and I didn't want to get that mixed up. I said to God, when it, well I found out it was radio then when I looked it up, and I said to God, are you telling me to go on radio? I wouldn't know how to do that. And I said to God, I'm a writer, not a speaker. And instantly I had brought to my mind the following from the Holy Spirit. Call the radio station manager. So that same morning I called the business office of radio station KWJS and asked to speak to the station manager. He came on the phone immediately, and I told him that God might be showing me to go on radio, and I said to him, how would you do that? And he said to me, make a recording, an audition tape, 
29 and a half minutes long. Send it to me, and if you fit our broadcasting, we will offer you a contract. As soon as I finished on talking to the station manager, I got my tape recorder and got my kitchen timer so I could make a 29 and a half minute tape. I just prayed and asked God to show me what to put on the tape. He had already taught me something very uh, important. God had taught me, speak what is brought to your mind, for that will be from my spirit. Just speak those scriptures or just speak whatever concept is brought to your mind. Don't plan out anything. So I didn't plan out anything for the audition tape. I just prayed, asking God to to have me speak what he wanted me to speak. I set my timer and started taping a broadcast. It was not edited or anything. I just spoke for 29 and a half minutes. I put the tape in the mail to the station manager. Within five days, I had a contract from them and was broadcasting exhortations for the church on radio station KWJS. Within about a year... I was on radio from New York City to Seattle. Hartford, Seattle, KWJS, the three words spoken to me by what I believed to be an angel of the Lord that night on January 10th, 1980. I traveled into each city where I was on radio and would rent a room at a motel, a meeting room at a motel and have a meeting for the radio station audience. This went on very strongly from 1980 through 1982. I was actually on radio through 1984, but it was very, very strong on going into these cities and having meetings and having additional radio stations. The messages God gave me to speak were very popular with the churches. The messages were on taking thoughts captive, following the Spirit of God, dealing with destructive thoughts, living abundant life through Bible, through doing things of God. There were about 700 people by that time that were coming to meetings, maybe a few more. But hundreds of thousands of people were hearing the radio broadcast from coast to coast. I had a meeting at the Seattle Center, and there were well over, well, there were about a thousand people probably that came to that meeting. I got on the bus to go to the airport after the meeting to fly back to Dallas, where I lived at that time. And the Spirit of God said to me, the foundation is laid. Now we're really going to move. I was very excited with that word because I already had thousands and thousands of people listening to the radio broadcast from coast to coast. The meetings were growing in number. I was very, very excited over that word. I flew back to Dallas I went to speak at a little church in Hobbs, New Mexico, and as I was flying back to Dallas from Odessa, Texas, 
the Holy Spirit started speaking to me and said, The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Over and over, all the way on that flight from Odessa to Dallas, I heard those same words. I didn't know what that meant. The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Shortly after that, God called to my attention four or five big-time radio television preachers and showed me sins that were being committed by those preachers. I knew I had to get a message of warning to those preachers. God had very thoroughly trained me in being a prophet, and he had shown me the scriptures in Jeremiah and Ezekiel saying that if a prophet fails to deliver the message and that person dies in their sins without having that message delivered to them, their blood is on the hands of the prophet. Now that's Old Testament, and I ask God, is there anything in the New Testament that shows that concept? And he took me to Acts chapter 20, where the Apostle Paul said the same thing. Start reading at verse 25. Paul says, And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So because of reading this New Testament scripture and being thoroughly trained in the passages in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, showing that if I fail to deliver a message from God, the blood of that person will be on my hands. If I warn the person when I have a message from God, and if they continue in their sins after I warn them, then their blood is not on my hands because I have warned them. So when I saw this, I knew I had to get a message to those preachers that God had shown me were doing sins. I contacted each one of them first by letter. And I made, I put a cover letter in it saying, I am a prophet of God. And here is a message God has given me for you. I received a response from Jim Baker at that time. The letterhead that I wrote on is Jesus Ministries because God told me to name this ministry Jesus Ministries, which I did. So at the top of the letter that I wrote to Jim Baker, it said Jesus Ministries, identifying the ministry. 
I enclosed a cassette tape telling him what God had shown me. This was in 1982, before his sins were exposed to the world in public. I received a letter back from supposedly Jim Baker. And the letter said, Dear Jesus, thank you for your inspirational letter. I want you to know that Tammy Faye and I prayed for you today, comma, Jesus. So phony. This is the way ministers operate. I tried to get messages to the other ministers that God had shown me sins in their ministry. But I couldn't get letters to them either. Although I was fairly well known in the early 1980s because of being on radio from coast to coast. But still, I couldn't get messages to them. They were intercepted by their office staff and thrown away. So I saw a scripture in the Bible where Paul said to the church, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Beware of him. Paul named him by name and told the whole church. So I knew that would be approved by God. I had radio broadcast at that time from coast to coast in the United States. So I got on radio, named the minister by name, told exactly the sin that God had shown me that was going on in their ministry. And the hate mail poured in from their listeners. And I began receiving threats from radio station managers as a result of the judgment messages that I broadcast on my radio program. Several radio stations put me off the air because of the message. I was in Seattle for a meeting, and outside the door of the meeting room stood the radio station manager. George had always been very friendly to me, but this time he looked a little severe and worried. And when I approached him, he said, Joan, you have many good messages. Just speak those messages. If you keep speaking these judgment messages, I don't know what's going to happen to you. We may have to put you off the air. The Holy Spirit rose up inside me instantly, and I said to George, not I, but the Holy Spirit said to George, George, if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, then I don't have a message, and I may as well be put off the air. And that was the defining moment 
in the remainder of the next 40 years for me. You have to speak the message that God gives you. You can't speak just to please people. You can't speak just to entertain an audience. You can't make them feel good. You have to speak the message you have been given by God. Or you don't have a message. And you may as well not speak. That happened in around 1982. From that point forward, I have tried to be very diligent to speak every message that I have heard from God. That I believe I've heard from God. Here is the most recent message that I have received. And it involves a verse of scripture in Psalm 1, verse 5. Let's just start at the beginning of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the shaft which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And that is the verse that's been recently called my attention. The sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. And God reminded me of all the people who have left me since 1980. They come briefly looking at the message, hearing the message. Some even delight in the message. But then God will have me speak something that shows them their sin and they turn and run away. Moving into darkness to avoid looking into that mirror that shows what they really are. Instead of repenting and cleaning up their lives, they run into the darkness and avoid me and avoid what I speak. They go to some other preacher who will approve them in their sin. But we are all going to appear at the judgment seat of Christ. And when that happens, we're going to stand in the purest light that has ever been known. For God is light and there's no darkness in God. Therefore, at the judgment seat of Christ, shining on us is going to be an intensely bright light, far more intense than anything you will ever see me hear me speak. 
if you run away from me, you're not going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. If you run away from the messages that I speak, and you're offended by the messages I speak, you're not. You're for sure not going to like what God has to say because he is total righteousness. I have the righteousness that he has shown me, but I don't have all righteousness, for it comes to us in bits and pieces. The light at the judgment seat of Christ will be something we have never seen before. And at that time, every one of us will be judged for what we have done on this earth, whether it be good or bad. Now, here's what Paul has to say about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting at verse 9, Paul says, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, of God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, says Paul, we persuade men. The only way we will be justified at the judgment seat of Christ is by doing that which is called to our mind by the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in us. If you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. We see this from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Every one of these verses tell us that the Holy Ghost dwells in us. The Holy Spirit is the Comforter, the Helper, and the Spirit of Truth. And He guides us into all truth by bringing to our mind scriptures, concepts, messages from God to show us the way to go on this present earth. We read that in John chapter 16, uh, chapter 14, verse 26, and John chapter 16, verse 13. Four things that the Holy Spirit does for each of us who are of God. He teaches us all things. He reminds us of everything Jesus has said. He guides us into all truth and he shows us things to come. We have to make the choice of obeying the instruction given to us by the Holy Spirit in the issues that pertain to this present life. Now you may think, well good, I want to follow the Holy Spirit. But we have one little problem, and that's called the flesh, which wants to go another way. So there's a constant battle between our flesh 
and the Spirit of God, for they're opposite. The Apostle Paul said that he knew that in his flesh there was no good work. A lot of people think they can make the flesh get better, that they can learn more Bible and the flesh will get better. That is untrue. The flesh is flesh. It is always there and is always trying to rise up and do the works of the flesh, which Paul tells us are the following in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery. Let's just stop there for a moment. If you want to make people angry in the churches, just quote to them Matthew 5.32, The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. See how angry they will get? Or tell them 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11, where Paul says, It's a commandment of the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, if her husband is living and she marries another man, she's called an adulteress. This is not what's being taught at church. You know that. They're being taught all kinds of ways around these scriptures. But those of us who speak these scriptures endure a persecution for the word's sake. Here is one of the most outstanding stories I've ever heard. This happened to Pam Paget, a member of the Body of Christ. Pam had been raised Catholic and then was born again and changed over to a non-denominational church. At the church group, she attended a singles class. And a woman in that singles class was looking for a husband and found a man in the class to marry. But this woman had been divorced twice. Pam went to her and gave her the scriptures on the subject of divorce and remarriage and said that it would be adultery if she remarried. And the woman said to Pam, I don't care what the Bible says. I know what I think. Pam was just shocked. She couldn't believe that a person who goes to church didn't care what the Bible says. <laughs> We've laughed about it several times since then because many people who go to church don't care what the Bible says. The Bible is the Word of God. But sadly, church people don't reverence the Scriptures except when they want to. They take portions. They'll do a little bit, but not all of it. They can't stand many of the instructions in the Bible. So preachers change those instructions to allow the approval of various sins in the congregation. Some people even approve homosexuality. 
to make the homosexuals feel like they can come to church and be approved by God and continue in homosexuality. Things like that. Romans chapter 1, God calls this vile affections. And he says that he turned them over to vile affections because they would not keep him in their thinking. But few people in churches will cling to all the scriptures. Therefore, people like me come along and speak the scripture and they're offended. Oh, they like what I say for a few minutes and then they're offended and they run away. Go farther into the darkness. And that's the message that God has given me for this point in time. Many will go in the way of destruction. Few find the way of life because they can't stand the light. Well, it's nothing compared to the light you're going to see at the judgment seat of Christ, and then it's too late. It's too late because it's all over. While we are on this earth, we have the opportunity as Christians to walk in the light of the Word of God, to take the whole light to correct ourselves and to follow the Holy Spirit and do what He says. My best friend years ago, was a concert pianist, a real concert pianist. I was at her house many, many times with, with Donna and her husband. She had the most unusual silver pictures that I'd ever seen. I, it was just not like anything I'd ever seen. And I said to her, I've never seen anything like this. She said, well, I'm going to tell you something. When I was a Fulbright scholar in Italy, I married an Italian. And his family, it was the famous family that manufactures tomato sauce, and they gave me these, uh, these uh, pictures. He and I came back to the United States, and we divorced. She went to a small church at that time after her divorce there was a man in the church whose wife had died of cancer and he had three small children he was looking for a wife he married Donna a divorced woman I said to him how if you had known Donna was divorced would you have dated her? And he thought it over carefully. And he said, no, I don't think I would have. For at that time, this was being taught in the churches. At that time, Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, 1 Corinthians 7, these things were being taught in some of the churches. 
and Hal knew this doctrine. But Donna didn't tell anyone she was divorced. Hal was trying to decide between two women to date, and he chose Donna. He fell in love with her. Then she told him she had been divorced. It was too late then. He married her. But he told me, no, he didn't even think he would have dated her if he had known she was divorced. See, that's what used to be taught. I was born again in 1975, and I have never heard that taught in any church that I've attended since 1975. That's omitted. See, what happens is this. As we grow nearer to the return of Jesus, sin in the churches increases. The apostasy has to come into the church and has before Jesus can return, says Paul. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul says, Let no man deceive you, for the day of the Lord will not come except there come first a falling away. Well, in 1982, God said to me, that falling away are not people leaving the churches. It's churches leaving the scripture. Changing the doctrine. We've seen that in one church after another. To the point that what I have spoken to you today, the man who marries a divorced woman, commits adultery, some of you may never have heard this. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. In 1979, God gave me a terrifying dream. Destruction was everywhere. It was like bombs had fallen, and it was just destruction all over. I went into a room where a man was speaking to his group of people. I sat down and started listening to this man who was speaking. A second man rushed in and said, Stop. Wait. Can't you see? It's too late. It's already begun. He disappeared and the first man resumed speaking. Nobody in the room showed any interest at all in what the second man said. It's already begun. But I wanted to see what had already begun. So I looked out the window. And what I saw was shocking. There was a tall pole with a yellow civil defense type speaker sitting on top of the pole. This is the kind of speaker that warns us when destruction is approaching. Out of the yellow civil defense speaker, which was set there to warn us, I saw a white gas floating out of the warning system. It was deadly, poisonous. It was coming directly toward those of us who were seated in that room, and it was going to kill us. The instrument put there to warn us was being used to distribute the poisonous gas that was going to kill us. I turned to the man who was sitting next to me. 
He had a big smile on his face. He was looking directly at the man who was speaking. And then I saw it. This man was dead. He was already a corpse. I looked around the rest of the room, and the people sitting there were already dead. They were corpses. And as I sat there among them, I began to feel drowsy, and I knew the gas that was coming from the speaker was poisoning me and was going to kill me too as I sat among this group of people. God was showing me the churches. He was showing me the destruction inside the churches that had already started back in 1979. Paul wrote about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Start at verse 3. Paul says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. They change the scripture without caring. I've heard it over and over as I have tried to find a church to attend. I've heard pastors say things that are unbelievable. I have gone to those pastors without exception and have asked the pastor where that is in the Bible. And I have had two of those pastors say the identical same thing to me. Well, I can't remember where it is. And I've said to them, well, it's very important to me to know where it is in the Bible, the thing you spoke. And in both cases, they said the same thing. They got very angry and said, well, all right, it's not in the Bible. But they showed no shame at adding to the Bible. No shame, none whatsoever. I looked for a church for 20 years and I found the same thing over and over. Various sins being permitted in the congregation and various things being spoken by pastors perverting the doctrines of the Bible. And I was grieved all these years and didn't understand until approximately 2017 when God explained it to me. Now, he's already told me that this falling away that Paul talked about was churches leaving the Bible and setting up other doctrines. They were going to set up portions of the scripture. They were going to set up and explain away. They were going to change the doctrine. They were going to fall away from what the Bible said. He'd already told me that. But I didn't understand that Antichrist was already in the churches doing this, even though I had that poison gas dream. I didn't understand that until approximately 2017, 
when God gave me another word. He gave me the word restraint. And I remembered that that word, restraint, is used in the New American Standard Bible, and it concerns 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Starting at verse 6 in the NASB, and you know what restrains him now, what restrains Antichrist from the church. And I sat there and I said to God, what restrains him? What is it that keeps Antichrist out of the church? And I heard very clearly, it's the scriptures. As long as they follow the scriptures, Antichrist is restrained, but the minute they remove that scripture, explain it away, or teach it in a way contrary to what the Bible says, that opens the door for Antichrist to move in, and he did. NASB, starting at verse 6, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The thing restraining was the word of God. The minute they removed the word of God, Jesus, when he was taken out of the way, then the lawlessness came in and was revealed. And that's exactly what we're seeing. And we've been seeing it for hundreds and hundreds of years. Antichrist working in the churches, changing the doctrine to approve men in their sins rather than bringing them the full truth of what the Word of God says so that they could be convicted of their sins, repent, be born again, and inherit the kingdom of God. So that is, that's what God showed me. Antichrist is not one man, as many churches think. Antichrist is a spirit that works in many people inside the churches. I can prove that to you by a scripture, which I will do at this time. John spoke that in 1 John chapter 2. Verse 18, John says, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrist, whereby we know it is the last time. They came into the churches, but they sat there and they couldn't stand the teaching of John and Paul, and so they eventually left to set up their own denominations where they could teach what they wanted to. Paul speaks of it in Acts chapter 20. Paul gathered together the elders of the church at Ephesus. And in verse 29, he said to them, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, among the church, not sparing the flock. Verse 30, 
also of your own selves, of the elders that were there at that moment, shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Right there among the elders, there were going to be elders who would rise up to speak their own doctrines, which were opposite from the scriptures, to draw men away to themselves. And that would happen after Paul was gone. And we have seen since the life of Paul, all of these denominations rise up. Where do you think they came from? All of these denominations dividing the body of Christ with perversions. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. If we're the same spirit, we aren't divided. But if you have some perverted doctrine inside you, or I have some perverted doctrine, we'll be divided. Well, the churches today are filled with perverted doctrine because they want big numbers of people to come to church. Why do you think they get big? I went to a museum luncheon one time when I lived in Lubbock, Texas. Over at Texas Tech, I went to their university luncheon. They seated us at round tables, about 10 people per table. It was assigned seating. When I got there, I found my name tag, and I was seated next to a man who was wearing around his neck the largest wooden cross I've ever seen. It had to be nine inches long. Oh, I knew I was in trouble the minute I saw him and saw I was seated next to him. He began talking immediately, and he introduced himself as the former pastor at the Indiana Street Baptist Church. And he said, we have such a problem at the church. Well, then everybody at the table looked up wanting to see what the problem was. He said, we have so many people trying to come to church and we can't see them. And we've added on to the church three times, and we still can't seat all the people who are trying to come to church. And I said, if you would begin speaking, Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, where Jesus says, the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery, about half of those people would leave you and you will have no trouble seating the people that come to church when you speak what Jesus says. His mouth fell open. I turned around and fled. I had paid for the dinner, but I was not going to sit at a table with this man and eat dinner. This is what we are seeing in the churches today. Perversion of doctrine. Can you stand the truth of the light of the scriptures? Or is it too much for you? Oh, I just have one person after another who leaves me. They delight at first and just 
they're thrilled to find me. God knows exactly where the dark area is in each life, and he'll have someone like me speak a message which reveals the darkness that is there. And most people who have darkness in them will flee because they can't stand the light. Yet God is light, pure light, something we've never seen before, the purest. And there's no darkness in him. Now one more scripture which we should take great heed to. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times will come. Things will get much worse in the last days before Jesus returns because he returns to bring judgment on the world. Sin will be much more rampant. Jesus says in Matthew 24, Because iniquity abounds, the love of many will wax cold, but he that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. That love of, for the word of God will wax cold because of the iniquity that is all around us. Paul says it'll be terrible times in the last days. It may not look like ter perilous times to you right now. They would have much more thought World War II was perilous times, which it was. But today, it's an insidious perilous times. It's stuff that the world approves they would have never approved in the 1940s. They would have never approved open sexual sins in the 1940s, ever. They did those sins in the 1940s, but they were hidden. Today they're approved in front of all. When you hear someone's getting married, do you rejoice in that? I find it hard to rejoice that someone's getting married because they have probably been living together for a year or two. Sexual sins. It's become so normal that we become perverted. It's extremely perilous right now. Paul says in verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Turn away from them. He says, for this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I see that in churches all the time running from one church meeting to another church meeting to another church meeting and rejecting it when we say the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Rejecting it when we say things like 1 Corinthians 7, let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or return to her husband. When we say those things, they're shocked. They've never heard that before. These are church people who've never heard this before and have 
explained away numerous doctrines because of their church. We gave this scripture one time to a Jewish woman who says that she is um, believes in Jesus. We gave her this scripture. I think she called herself a messianic Jew. She was divorced, and she was had met a man that she thought she would be marrying, was very attracted to him, and in, indicated this. And we gave her this message. And she said to us, I'm Messianic Jew. We don't go by the Bible. We have our own doctrine. I said to Pam, Pam is the one who talked to her, I said, her own doctrine. They have their own doctrine. There is only one doctrine, and it is the New Testament Bible. If you're going by church doctrine that's opposite to Bible, you are in peril and don't know it. No wonder Paul said it was perilous times. And Paul said, evil men and seducers in the churches, he's speaking of the churches, shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But he told us, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Who taught us? If we're taught things of God, we're taught by God, by the Spirit of God. That's who taught us. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Are you in a church today where they're teaching something opposite to doctrine of the Bible? Are they allowing men to marry divorced women and performing ceremonies at churches, letting divorced women remarry? Are they excusing away the scriptures in order to let people be approved in marriage? Well, of course they are. And you're sitting there among them, approving it yourself? Don't you realize you'll be judged by the Word of God, by the Bible? I told you the story of Pam Padgett who told the divorced woman in the singles class that if she remarried, she would commit adultery. Pam also went to the man that this woman was going to marry. He was in the singles class at church and told him that it would be adultery if he married this divorced woman. And he said to her, well, I'll think about it. She read the scripture to him. There was a woman who was going to be maid of honor, and that was somebody Pam knew. And so she went to this woman in the singles class and told her this would be adultery if they married. The woman said to Pam, yes, I know it will be, but they will marry anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and be maid of honor, approving it.
It's my understanding that the pastor at the church performed the ceremony at the church. This isn't unusual. But Pam didn't go along with it. She told each of them the scripture. Now here's what happened to Pam. She had moved 20 or 30 miles away from where this church met, but she kept going to the 11 o'clock service. She didn't go to the singles class anymore, but she went to the 11 o'clock service. The singles sat in one area of the auditorium. They sat together. So Pam went to church that Sunday, and she sat in the area where the singles usually sat. But none of them came to sit there. She turned around and noticed them sitting a few seats back. So the next Sunday, she sat in the new area where the singles sat, and they sat in the old area. And the third Sunday, she got there a little bit later, and they were already seated. She went and sat down beside these singles, the singles class. Without a word, every one of them stood up and walked away and moved away from Pam and sat in another area. And Pam cried out to God, What have I done? What have I done that's wrong? Pam just didn't understand at all that anybody at church could reject Scripture. A few weeks later, a woman at that church came to her and said, Pam, I have a message from God to you. It's concerning the way these people are treating you. He knows what they're doing. And he wants you to know that you did the right thing by speaking to them. When people hear people like me speak, they usually at first think it is wonderful. And they stay for a time until something is brought up that offends them, and then they disappear. They run deeper into the darkness instead of turning to God and repenting. I've seen it over and over and over to the point that really there's only one other person right now that I can sit with freely and share and do anything with, and that's Pam, because she's paid the same price I've paid. Few people are going to find the way of life, and everyone is going to be judged by God at the judgment seat of Christ, and then they won't be arguing against God. But it's too late then. They're in that position for all eternity. And at that time they receive for whatever they've done on this earth, whether it be good or bad, and it is judged by the New Testament Bible. If you don't line up with the Bible, you will suffer a penalty for all eternity one way or the other. That concludes the message today.